Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Humanity Examined, the show where we talk with individuals about how to get the most out of life through the lens of humanities. I'm James Maloney. Today, I'm joined by New Hampshire State Representative for Grafton County District 12, a professor at Dartmouth College and an author, Professor Russell Muirhead. Thank you so much for being on the show, and we're glad for to have you here to chat with us today. Thanks for inviting me. Happy course, to be here, James. Of course, yeah. So uh, just to kind of get into uh, some of my questions, I kind of want to start with your background and how you kind of got into academia and the humanities themselves and even politics and government. You know, I don't even know how I got into it. I, I didn't intend to get into it. Mm -hmm. um, I went to college and I studied uh, where I was, which was Harvard. They called it government, but in many places they'll call it political science. And that seemed like a subject, the, the right subject for me. I was really excited to study it. And it's sort of like social studies for college students. Right. Um, and, and when I was taking political science, I ended up becoming most interested in the part of political science that isn't much of a science. Mm -hmm. It's the part that focuses on the history of politics and the philosophy of politics, the big questions about politics. And More they call theory based stuff. Yeah, they call yeah. it political theory or mm -hmm. sometimes political philosophy. So without even knowing it, that's what I was taking my courses in. Mm -hmm. And I, um, you know, I don't even know if I could have described myself as a political theorist when I got out of college, because what did I know? And, um, and then I, um, I got a scholarship to go to Oxford, and I studied for a couple more years, and I, and I studied economics and political philosophy and philosophy and sociology. Um, and, and then when I came back to the United States after finishing um, what was essentially a second undergraduate degree, I, um, I did not know what I was going to do. And, um, and I, was, I was hoping I might be able to you know, direct myself to a ski town out west for a couple of years or, or do something fun. And I had some health issues that prevented me from doing that active stuff. And, and because of that, I was more inclined to stay on in school. And, and so I applied to get a PhD, but I didn't, um, I had no idea whether I'd get in and I didn't know if I started it, whether I'd finish it. And if I finished it, I had no intention of becoming a professor, mm -hmm. um, which I thought was a pretty silly thing to do. Um, but I, I finished it and I ended up getting a job to my astonishment. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, when, the, when you're a professor, one of the things you need to get is tenure because professors, universities and colleges have an up or out system. You have to get either promoted to this upper level of being a professor with tenure or you're fired. So it's up or out. And when I got promoted, I, um, I was a little bit appalled. And I said to my wife, oh, my gosh, now I'm really stuck. Mm. So, <laughs> so here I am. Yeah, yeah, and so that, that was kind of your leap, leap of faith, so to speak. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. I think it was that I enjoyed teaching, I enjoyed working with students, mm -hmm. and I was willing to just do that day after day mm -hmm. and see where it led. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think it's an, in, a, in a commercial country like ours, being a professor is a very odd thing, and we can't really explain what we do, especially the part of it that involves writing um, and, and research. And so, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't anticipate that that's what I would be doing. Yeah, and I think that that gets into kind of the bigger topic of, I know a lot of people will kind of question, why liberal arts? If someone wasn't as knowledgeable in liberal arts, what would you, what would you kind of say to them? It's a good yeah. question, first yeah. of all. And I like the question, why liberal arts? And I think the liberal arts should be on the defensive. Mm 
Yes. And they should have to apologize for themselves. Um, and they should have to make their case. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and it's really clear, you know, say why you should be an engineer, because it gets you a job. Um, or why you learn a particular technical trade. You know, why, why be an electrician? Because, the, you know, the country needs electricians yeah, yeah. and you can make a good living doing it. So, so why major in something that we call a liberal art, which means, you know, classically like an English major, a history major, a philosophy major, or something like that. It doesn't lead to a job. It doesn't teach you how to do something that people will pay you to do. And you spend a lot of time yet and effort learning it. So, so why spend all that time and effort learning something that no one will pay you to do? It's not a technique. And I think that's actually, you know, a real question. And, and, uh, and I'm not always sure that our answers are good ones. But, but I do think that um, all of us, all, all people, have to, as, as not, not, you know, every day of our lives, and, and, and in different ways at different times in our life, make a mirror in which we can see ourselves and, and people around us. And, and if we can't construct that mirror, we don't really know who we are or where we are, and we can lose, we can become quite disoriented. And so to be able to recognize yourself in the world that you inhabit is not something that we can take for granted and requires an act of interpretation. Um, I don't think, I, I'm, you know, this is all sort of abstract. I don't think it requires a PhD to do this. I think every single person in the world does this. Mm -hmm. I think, though, that the resources of the liberal arts, the, the, the books, the, the literature, everything from the poems to the philosophy to the stories are tools, really, really, really useful tools that we can use to create that um, mirror in which we can see ourselves and our world and, and then you know, get a better sense of where to go. Um, there's a lot of life outside of work. Right. And, and actually, in a weird way, you know, the liberal arts educates us for that part of life. Mm. It's a very important thing. It's also important to get a job. And, yes. and so I think you know, that's why I appreciate the question. And I think you know, we have to be prudent about things. Yes, absolutely. And I, I love that analogy you use about the mirror. I think that, that that really puts things into perspective with that. So you are, um, you know, going off of the liberal arts, you are someone who uses, utilizes multiple mediums in order to share your ideas. Uh, you, you have a podcast, you've, you've written books, and you've written on journals. And, um, I just wanted to ask, like, what, what's your experience through using all those different mediums in order to share knowledge and share ideas? And also, what, which one do you think is maybe some of the most effective means uh, for getting your ideas out into the world? You know, I think that the most effective thing um, is effective on a very small scale, mm -hmm. and that's actually talk. Mm -hmm. Talking is really, really the best way. Yeah. Um, now, you could say, well, with a podcast, you can broadcast it and make it on a larger scale. But there's nothing like the immediacy of being with someone mm. um, in a classroom or in a conversation. And, and I think that's the very best way to um, explore ideas. I mean, it's not as though my ideas are just ready-made, perfect little things that I pass <laughs> along. I mean, to, to, to put, them, put those ideas together in a room together, that, that's, that's what's really, really effective. Mm -hmm. Now, I think um, for a lot of us, it's also um, an excellent discipline to try to write them down. You can get away with a lot of sloppy thinking mm -hmm. in speech. When you write it down, it stays on the page. Right. Um, and, and so there's a real discipline there. I have a lot of ideas that I think are really good until I try to write them out. And then I find out that I don't understand them that well. 
or that they're subject to um, incredibly powerful objections that I can't really answer. So, so I also appreciate the discipline of writing, um, sometimes just for myself, sometimes for a smaller audience, but an audience that takes what you say really, really seriously. And, uh, and I think the book is, is a great medium. I really think the book has not been transcended um, as a me, I love holding books. I love reading books. I don't think it's that great to be reading a book, you know, on your computer screen or on iPad. It, it, I do it, um, and and everyone, all of us will. But you never know if you're at the beginning or the middle of the end. You can't tell from the way it looks on your screen. When you're holding it, you can tell just by the weight in your left hand, your right hand, where you are in the book. And um, you know, you can you can read books so much faster actually if they're in your hand. And, uh, and you can also read them more slowly. Mm -hmm. And both of those things are good. So I, I'm a big fan of the book. Yeah, there's just, <laughs> I, so, there's just something about it. You yeah, know, there's something it about hand, it. It's a very you know, useful writing, technology. Writing down on it, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's timeless. It's right. truly timeless. Make it yours, write in it. Um, yeah, I just looked up, I just downloaded all the, all the receipts from Amazon that I had for the last three or four months and found, saw all the books that I bought. I was a little bit appalled. And then I realized, you know, it probably didn't equal half of my cable bill. So you can spend a lot on books and still not spend a lot on books. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a great medium to use. Yeah. Um, also, um, to our discussion on humanities and government, I noticed that you had a discussion on the Constitution and how it is reflective of humanities. And so I wanted to kind of make an offshoot of that and ask what other um, maybe documents or references within American history or history in general can we connect to the humanities? Well, all of the, I mean, American political thought consists of mainly speeches, but also writings by political actors, mm -hmm. people trying to make politics in America um, from what we call the founding generation, uh, like Madison and Hamilton, mm -hmm. framers of the Constitution, the earlier revolutionary generation, through to the, those generations that really tried to um, insist that the soul of the American, of American constitutional democracy was inconsistent with slavery and try to affirm the equality of, of whites and blacks and indeed of men and women and of all people. And, and, and these speeches, whether it's um, Frederick Douglass, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, um, or letters, whether it's you know, Jefferson writing to a committee in Washington, D.C. that had invited him to give a speech on the Fourth of July in 1826, that was the day he happened to die. He did decline the invitation prior to it. Um, or, or whether it's a, the equivalent of a very serious op-ed, like the Federalist Papers, which right. are these essays written to defend um, the Constitution to those people who might be voting on it in a state ratifying convention. These are um, extraordinary, I call them you know, literary documents. Mm -hmm. And um, they're carefully, carefully wrought, in many cases, mm -hmm. by people who are extraordinarily, were extraordinarily intelligent. And they were written for their moment, but also for us. Mm. Um, I was just uh, in preparing for a talk that I'm giving um, tonight, mm -hmm. looking at the Gettysburg Address. Right. And, um, and I noticed how few specifics are in the speech. The right. word Gettysburg, for instance, does not appear in the address. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and there's no, there's no mention of the specific battle or the specific place. Mm -hmm. There's a mention of the, of the time, but only at the fourth score and seven years ago, mm -hmm. which is a reference really to 1776, not to the exact moment, the, the, the dates. It's very um, broad. It's yeah, very broad. and I, it occurs to me, like, 
Lincoln is writing to us. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's writing for that audience right there at that moment, but he's also writing to us. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me as I was reading a little bit of Jerry Garcia in The Grateful Dead. Um, Jerry Garcia didn't like to, um, to, he didn't want to play political songs. You know, the Grateful Dead was a band in the height of this kind of tumult of 1968, 1970, you know, the, the Vietnam War, but also just the general rebellion of youth all over the world. And, and a lot of great you know, bands and singers are, like Joan Baez are writing and singing political songs. Yeah. Jerry Garcia wouldn't do that with the Grateful Dead. Mm -hmm. and, I, and it's because he thought they'd be dated. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to see. Um, so you are a, a Rhodes Scholar, um, from what I've heard. So I was wondering, what, what is some of your experiences at a Rhodes, as a Rhodes Scholar? And if someone asked you, what is that? What basically is a Rhodes Scholar? What, is, what do you do during that? Yeah. Um, how would you explain it to them? So it's in the simplest thing, it's just a scholarship that college graduates can apply for and get. And so you apply when you're, you know, roughly say 22 years old, 21, 22 years old, and um, and it supplies you with the funds to go to Oxford University in England and study for two or three years for a degree. So in a very like just um, you know practical sense, it sends you to more school. Um, and and so if you get one and you take it, you better like going to school because mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. Is <laughs> you're gonna have to take write papers and take yep. exams and work your way toward another degree. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you don't want to do that all over again, don't apply for a Rhodes Scholarship. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it was started in the early 20th century. It was started by a South African named Cecil Rhodes mm -hmm. who made his money in diamonds um, and had this great fondness for, for Britain and the British Empire and hoped, hoped to kind of restitch it in a way back together by drawing, drawing some of the people, young people from the old parts of the British Empire uh, the Commonwealth, you could say, right. back into Britain, including Americans who had rebelled and, and you know, divorced themselves from, from Great Britain in 1776 to 1782. So it, it ended up, um, you know, by the time I played for it, having a big name. Rhodes Scholars had, you know, the, the scholarship had a big reputation. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so uh, I applied for it, and I, I really wanted to go to Oxford and study more, you know, with the, in a degree that they called politics, philosophy, in economics, mm -hmm. seemed like a really cool degree. I got, you know, to win one of these things, it's a little bit like winning the lottery. Yeah. Um, you know, you, 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 you put your best foot forward, um, but you can never kind of uh, control the outcome. You just have to get lucky. I got lucky, I got one. And, uh, and so I went to Oxford and I studied for two, two more years. As I said, I got a second undergraduate degree in, in what they call PPE, or philosophy, yep. politics, and economics. And it really was incredibly worthwhile. I really felt like I was finally able to, to learn something, mm. unlike my first degree. And, uh, and I was a good student. I studied really hard. Yeah. And, uh, and I learned how to um, you know, drink a lot of beer in pubs at the same time. Mm. So I, kept that, I learned how to balance <laughs> those things. It was a good two years. Yeah. I made some really close friends. Um, <clears throat> and I came away, I mean, not like, I think probably contrary to what Cecil Rhodes wanted, I came away really not liking England very much. I mean, I was grateful for the opportunity to study there. I, I certainly admired my, my university and my college a lot. I, I loved the people, but I was so happy to come back to the United States. Mm -hmm. There's something about um, being here that, that I've just always loved even more since having been away for those two years. <laughs> so it, it didn't draw me closer to the British Empire. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> 
you're, when you're able to learn that, it's, I think it's something, you know, very valuable because it means that home is just, you know, home's where the heart is. And yeah. sometimes you need to be away from home to realize that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Also, I was, I was looking into, uh, you know, the P, like the PPE and what people, what that um, uh, form of study does. I thought that that was very interesting and kind of a little funny anecdote. I was like, why would you study personal protective equipment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for two years. For yeah, two, two years. years. That's, that's a long. Yeah, that's a long. Time. Maybe a day. That's a long time. Two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, and also okay. I wanted to also talk about um, audience. So you are uh, in within a community of academics, but I'm wondering how is it, or how can we take academic scholarship? and make it more available or gain, make uh, a greater audience uh, outside of the academic community? How, how can that be done? It's uh, a, I really age? appreciate that question. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's not an easy one to answer. And I think, I think look, some people are scholars, scholars. Mm. They're, they're scholars and they really uh, are not ever gonna be very good at communicating with a wide audience. But there's something really sweet and beautiful about them and, um, and inspiring about them and their devotion. And, and they're only, you know, they're people who can communicate with 25 other people in the world. They're so mm -hmm. deeply into what they do. They're about 20, you know, five other people who understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be really, really valuable. It can be, it can be valuable in science, in the, in the really hyper-specialized domains of science. And there might even be spillover benefits for the rest of the world of these specialists. I think it can also be valuable in medieval studies and mm -hmm. things that aren't, you know, mm -hmm. domains that, were, that aren't trying to come up with like new technologies. Mm -hmm. That said, you know, there are other people who have an incredible talent, um, you know, for communicating and for telling a story and for taking discoveries and translating them. Right. And, and I really value that too. Um, I don't think everybody who's a professor or a scholar or a student needs to do that, but, but some people are, are really good at it and we need, we need that. You're right, you're absolutely right. And it's, I don't, I can't, I don't know how to tell you how to do it, but, but I would say this, that the importance, what you need to do if you're gonna to translate to a large audience is convert things into stories. Mm -hmm. Because stories are a whole lot easier to pay attention to mm -hmm. than lectures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember um, when NASA came out with that picture of the black hole. And I was listening to, I think, an NPR story and someone was saying, you know, when they talk to a scientist, like, how do you explain your work? And this, like, this picture is my work. It's something that can be shown and something that can easily be seen. And, you know, I was thinking of that, and it's like, wow, there are people in this world putting so much work into something, and sometimes they can't really show that in a very simple and easy way for people to understand. And, you know, it's, it's one, one could only hope and want to uh, have easy ways to show everyone everything, but at the same time, it may not be in re our reality, or we just have to keep digging. So. Yeah, it requires building a bridge. You've got yeah. to build a bridge to a population of people who haven't spent the time you spent to understand whatever it is, that scientific field. That, you know, in this case, that scientist you're alluding to may have been working for several decades. Mm -hmm. And they say, hey, can you tell me what you work on? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, haven't, I, 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 didn't do, I took one physics course you know, in, in uh, 11th grade, it didn't do very well in it. Can you explain what you work on? Well, that person got to build a really, really good, sturdy, wide lane bridge to get to me. Right. And yeah. they may or may not be able to, but I think people who can are really providing a great service. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, 
uh, kind of kind of just to wrap up our conversation, I wanted to talk about something from uh, your book. A lot of people are saying uh, a new uh, conspiracism and the assault on democracy. Um, so I was wondering, generally, how do people get involved in conspiracies? Because you know there there are a lot. QAnon is a good example, I think. You know, a lot of people get involved in that, and sometimes it might surprise people who gets involved in that. And so, it's just kind of, it's just kind of, it's a very thought-provoking thing to think like, wow, like, you know, people are rallying behind this, and I'm wondering what is, what is the pull? What is that yeah. that drives them to Well, it? first, I mean, the whole thing, the, the, the conspiratorial talk today is, is what it is because of the new communications technology. Mm -hmm. So it just used to be the case when I was your age that if you wanted to communicate something to um, you know, thousands or, or tens of thousands or millions of people, you had to get onto a radio show, onto a TV show, or into a newspaper. And there were only so many columns in the newspaper, so many minutes on the radio or TV show, and there were producers and editors that were standing in the way mm -hmm. as kind of gatekeepers asking, hey, is this newsworthy? Hey, is this true? And if you made, made up some you know, wackadoodle story, it wasn't going to get in. Mm -hmm. So uh, today, if, if you, you know, you can, anyone can speak to everyone in the world for free right. on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, anyone can put up a video on, on YouTube or elsewhere and or, you know, on TikTok. So you can, this, this is an amazing democratization of communication technology. So this means that all sorts of stories that would never have made it out there into the public domain now do. And they can find their audience, mm -hmm. whereas before they couldn't. But I like your, your use of words there, where you said how do, you know, some people get involved. And for some of these conspiratorial narratives, it's really about being involved. Mm -hmm. um, it's about being in a special group that knows, that has the secret key. Um, you know, we, the cognoscenti, the people, the knowers. Mm -hmm. Like, we know how things really are. And I think that's a satisfying attraction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're on that message board and the other people on it, you all get it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's, and another thing um, is, uh, is in the case of QAnon, people participated in making it. Because right. QAnon was, was sort of, it's not like, there's not just one story, there's a whole you know, mixed salad of stuff. And lots of people contributed to it. And people on the, this is in its original form, on sort of the 8chan or 4chan message boards, some people, you know, some contributions would be rejected really uh, harshly, and others would be accepted. And so it was a much more participatory thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's, you want to participate in a group that, that has the real key to reality. That's, that's a, it's kind of a powerful attraction and that's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, I think that that is all the time we have. Professor Muirhead, thank you so much for taking time to be with me today and to talk all things humanities, to talk about your books. Again, for our audience, uh, Professor Muirhead's book is A Lot of People Are Saying, A New Conspiracism and the Assault on Democracy. You can get that where books are sold to you and uh, be sure to check it out. And thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Humanity Exit. Hey folks, this is James again. Did you enjoy our episode today? Are you ready to take your reading journey to the next level? then you should definitely check us out online and on social media. For all things humanities, you can find us at www.anselm.edu slash humanities-institute. And be sure to check us out on social media. 
You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at STA Humanities. Keep on reading and stay well.